I am holding in my hand a cassette tape that is almost 40 years old. It contains a message that was given by Chuck Swindoll when he was pastoring the First Evangelical Church in Fullerton, California, back in 1981. Now, for the benefit of some of you who are too young to remember, cassette tapes are what CDs and digital downloads are today. But 40 years ago, this was the way you listened to music and messages, either in your car or on your Walkman. And so this is definitely old-fashioned, it's out-of-date technology. In fact, I'm not even sure you can purchase a cassette player anymore. But you know, this message had a profound impact on me, both spiritually and practically. In fact, I can honestly say that it was really one of the defining moments of God speaking to me. Let me explain. Shortly after I left the pastorate in Michigan in the summer of 1996, I began working for an organization called the Christian Medical and Dental Associations as a regional director. We were living in Detroit, and I was in charge of the organization's ministries in the states of Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, North and South Dakota, Iowa, and Nebraska. Later, my region would expand to 11 states, from North Dakota to Texas, from Wisconsin to New Mexico. And I used to jokingly say, in the hands of a lesser man, it would have been a challenge. But my job was to travel to the medical and dental schools in those states and meet with the student chapters as well as some of the leaders and graduate chapters in the various cities that I would go to. And that meant that I would be away from home during the week. Now, it really wasn't as bad as it sounds. I only traveled during the school year, and my travel was limited because oftentimes the students would have things going on, and there was really no point in visiting the schools after Thanksgiving simply because they were so incredibly busy. But I would drive my trusty CMDA Ford Taurus all over the upper Midwest. And so I was in the car a lot. And because more often than not I couldn't find something worth listening to on the radio, I would listen to sermons on cassette by men like Chuck Swindoll and John MacArthur and others. And I found it very, very beneficial. Well, shortly after I started with the organization in 1996, in the fall, I had to go to Illinois and Wisconsin. And so before I left, I grabbed about a dozen cassettes and as I was driving from Warren, Michigan, which is in the suburbs of Detroit, to Chicago, I listened to the message that is on this tape. And it's a sermon from the four verses I want to look at this morning. Chuck Swindoll entitled his sermon, The Laws of Harvest. And in that message, he mentioned the four laws of harvest that I'm going to share and expand upon to you this morning. And I, and I thought it was really good. And so I pulled out a piece of paper and I wrote down his four points. I wanted to keep them uppermost in my mind because I thought, you know, the medical students really need to hear that. And I was trying to figure out how I could incorporate those points into my talk. But I also thought to myself, you know, that's really true. You do indeed reap what you sow. And what's more, I need to keep that in mind, especially when I'm out here traveling by myself. 
Because it would be so easy for me to think that I could do certain things and, and be with certain people and watch certain things and nobody would ever know. That was a lie. Well, the next day, after I met with the students at one of the medical schools in Chicago, I was on my way to Milwaukee up I-94 to the Medical College of Wisconsin. And I turned on the radio and I happened to locate WMBI, which is the radio voice of the Moody Bible Institute. And guess what was on the radio? Chuck Swindoll. And amazingly, it was this very same message. And I can remember like it was yesterday, reaching over to the passenger seat and picking up this tape and looking at it. And I realized that it was a message that Swindoll had given 15 years earlier. Friend, God put a two-by-four right between my eyes. And he said, Doug, you're out there alone. You're staying in hotels. And you need to remember, Doug, I will not be mocked. Now, let me just add, later, as I got to know people in my region, I stopped staying at hotels. I found that staying with people saved the organization an awful lot of money, and I found it much more enjoyable. But friend, I will never forget that moment. Never. Never. I remember literally, physically, shaking as that truth was confirmed to me. And that moment had a profound impact on me that continues to this day. If there is one lesson I wish that I could teach to people, it's that God will not be mocked when it comes to the issue of sowing and reaping. And no matter what you may think this morning, you are not the exception. There is an irrefutable, absolute law that can never be bypassed, never be avoided, and that is you cannot thumb your nose at God. In fact, that's what that word mocked means, or rather, do not be deceived. That's what the original Greek means. It means the idea of, of just thumbing your nose at God. Friend, you can't disparage him as if he doesn't see and know what's going on. Everything we do will produce a harvest. It's one of the fixed, absolute laws of God. When God created the world, he decreed that reaping would follow sowing. And what's true in the world of agriculture is also true in life. Actions have consequences. Present conduct determines our future conditions. And we have to bear the responsibility for our behavior. That is a moral and spiritual law. That is one that I hope no one in their right mind would deny. And yet people do it all the time. And 
And apparently there were some, perhaps even at the church in Galatia, who after Paul in this book had emphasized grace and freedom and liberty, people were out there thinking, well, I'm free, I can do whatever I please. The cross has paid it all, I'm under grace. I can live my life with impunity. Friend, no, you can't. There is a price to be paid. Paul said in Romans 2, verses 6 through 8, regarding God's righteous judgment, he said, God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, before we get into this passage, let me just remind you that Paul is talking here about how to live the Christian life. In the first two chapters, he defended his apostleship, saying, I represent Jesus Christ. In chapters 3 and 4, he defends the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works. And in the final two chapters, chapters 5 and 6, he's telling us how to live the Christian life. And what he says here is you have two options, two choices. You can either walk in the Spirit and realize the fruit of the Spirit in your life, or you can walk in the flesh and realize the fruit of the flesh. And three times over, in these four verses I want us to look at, Paul talks about sowing and reaping. And his fundamental point is, the harvest reaped bears a direct relationship to the seed sown. And our tendency, admittedly, for the most part, is to apply this in the negative realm, Right? But you know what? The converse is also true. If you sow a righteous life, you will reap the benefits of a righteous life. It is true, if you sow lust, you will reap a corresponding harvest of guilt. If you sow the abuse of alcohol, you will reap a damaged liver, a broken home, a lost job, or even death. If you sow laziness, you will reap poverty and a lack of self-worth. So it's negative. But you know, it's also positive, as we're going to see in a moment. But the other thing that I think is very important for us to remember in regards to these verses that I want us to look at in a moment in detail, is this doesn't apply exclusively to moral and immoral behavior. Because this truth comes on the heels of what he says in verse 6, where he talks about serving and giving. He says in verse 6, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. What he's saying here is that the man who sows the word of God has the right to reap material benefits from his work. And conversely, the one who shares generously with his teacher will reap blessings from God. So the laws of harvest that we're going to talk about apply not only to behavior, 
They also apply to the issues of serving and giving. We talked about this last week. What Paul is saying here that God wants us to restore one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to think of others more highly than ourselves. And we're to give generously to people. And that principle of sowing and reaping applies in those areas as well. Now, with that as a foundation, I want us to consider the laws of harvest that are found in these verses by observing four undeniable principles. And the first is the principle of investment. And that is you only reap if you sow. I've mentioned before that my first church was in North Dakota. It was a wonderful experience. When I graduated from Dallas Seminary in 1979, I went to North Dakota, and there Connie and I had a wonderful three years of ministry. We really needed that to decompress. Connie and I had been together for eight years, two years dating, six years in marriage, And when we got to North Dakota, we were a bit frazzled. We had 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 the pedal to the metal. We had the accelerator down all the way. And so we needed needed a a, a less demanding lifestyle. Uh, That lasted, though, only for about a year or two. And I was ready for more of a challenge. And so I began looking. And three years after I was there, I left and served a church in Omaha, Nebraska. But you know what? While I was there in North Dakota, I learned a few things about farming. Just enough to be dangerous. Just enough to think that I'm a know-it-all. No, just kidding. You know what the most obvious is? You don't reap a harvest unless you sow a seed. Now, that's pretty obvious. I never saw a farmer take his combine out in the fall to harvest wheat in a field he never planted. And the same applies from agriculture to our life as well. Friend, you will reap what you sow. And if you sow the seeds of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control... You have a right to expect those things in return and, as we're going to see, in an abundance. And one of the practical outworkings of this principle, I think, is seen in regards to friendship. You know, everyone wants friends, right? But not everyone has friends. And the reason some people don't have friends is they themselves are not friendly. They're not generous. They don't listen well. Friend, the harvest of friends is not an accident. It happens because an investment has been made. And I don't mean to be harsh with anybody, but if you're here this morning short on friends, try being one first. Be kind, considerate, loyal, and respectful. Avoid behavior that's offensive. And I can almost guarantee that if you will do that, you will reap a harvest of good friends in return. 
Now, there's a second principle here, and it's the principle of identity. And that is you reap only what you sow. And I mentioned earlier that you will never find a farmer harvesting a field he failed to plant. And another truth is that you will never find a farmer taking his combine out to harvest wheat when he planted corn. What is harvested is what is planted. And likewise, Paul tells us here that you are going to reap what you sow. And God's not going to be hoodwinked. You're not going to be the first one to deceive him. Verse 8 says, he says, Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Verse 8 is the picture of the Christian life as a country estate. And the flesh and the spirit are two fields in which seed is to be planted. And Paul says the one who sows to please his sinful nature can expect a harvest of destruction. But the one who sows to please the spirit can expect a harvest of eternal life. The one field is the field of the sin nature that we were born in. It means we we pander, we cuddle, we stroke that old sinful nature instead of crucifying it, as Paul says we're supposed to do, putting it to death. And what he's saying here is that every time you allow your mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain a lustful fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, you are sowing to the flesh. Every time you watch a program on TV that is harmful, every time you selfishly refuse to meet the emotional needs of a family member, every time you visit an inappropriate internet site or listen to degrading music, you take the risk of reaping a harvest of destruction. Some of your translations render that corruption. The word here speaks of moral decay. It has the picture of a, a body decomposing or having a, a limb on the body that's gotten infected, becoming gangrene, and it needs to be cut out. You know, have you ever noticed that sometimes just a little tiny cut, not properly attended to, can result in an infection which, if continually ignored, can become fatal. What do we do? We, we need to cut it out. We need to get rid of that. And that's what Paul is saying here. You say, well, what exactly does it look like? It looks like broken relationship, broken minds, emotions, bodies, dreams. And sometimes those things that can happen so easily in your life and mind that start out seemingly insignificant, where you tell one lie and then another one, and then it becomes bigger and bigger, and things finally are just totally out of control. You know, Paul is saying here, he's saying, deal with it. Deal with it quickly. It can begin with a little flirtation that seems so harmless, 
with someone other than your spouse. And it can easily lead to an intimate conversation which leads, which leads to meaningful touch. And pretty soon things are out of control. And that marriage is damaged and trust and intimacy can never be restored. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5? He said, don't commit adultery. He says, don't even, don't even look at a woman, men, inappropriately. And he follows that up with these words that are, in the minds of many people, confusing. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. What's he saying here? He's saying, deal with sin in your life drastically and dramatically, even if it hurts. Otherwise, God may have to take you to the woodshed. And I've seen a lot of people go to God's woodshed. And I've seen the inside of God's woodshed myself. And it's not a fun place to be. And so you know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, deal with sin in your life because if you don't, if you sow seeds to please your flesh, you're from the flesh, you will reap destruction. But you know what? He also says here that the, that the flesh is not the only field in which we can plant. Because he says we can also sow in the field of the Spirit. Sowing there is, is focusing our mind on the Spirit. It's being careful with the books that we read, the company we keep, the leisure we pursue, the worship habits we develop, and the diligence with which we pursue our careers as unto the Lord. Paul says here you'll reap eternal life. Now, friend, he's not saying here, well, you know, if you live this way, then you'll have salvation from hell. Friend, in this book, what does he emphasize over and over and over and over again? He said that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. Friend, we don't earn salvation by the thoughts and deeds we sow. Paul here is referring to a quality of life that is ours now. Where we appreciate the eternal as opposed to the temporal. The healthy as opposed to the harmful. A life that is focused on the importance, uh, th the things that are important as opposed to those that are trivial. In other words, what he's saying here is when we sow to the Spirit, we begin a process of spiritual growth which will last forever. And in this life, we're given a taste of heaven. Please remember, all the benefits of eternal life are not deferred to eternity. You know, have you ever made an investment? And as you're talking to the guy, he says, now, all of these benefits will be deferred until you retire or somewhere down the road, or for the benefit of your, your surviving children. No, when we sow to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us the assurance of our faith, the joy of our salvation, and the hope of our resurrection. 
Now let me offer one final thought about the principle of identity. And that is some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why in the world they never reap a harvest of holiness and righteousness. I remember one time when I was traveling with CMDA, I was talking to a man, a physician, and he was lamenting the sour marriage that he was in. He claimed there was no love left in it. And I asked him what he was investing in his marriage. And he mentioned the fact that he provided his wife, and indeed he did, a, a, a beautiful home in which to live and his kids, and she had everything that they wanted. And sadly, he couldn't understand, you know, sometimes doctors are not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. He could not understand why he was experiencing a loveless marriage. And I pointed out to him that maybe it was because he was working an 80-hour week schedule and he was taking separate vacations from his wife and children. Duh. Listen, a beautiful house is no substitute for a beautiful home. You know, when Connie and I were with the Christian Medical and Dental Associations, we were involved in a, uh, a weekend ministry. It was a lot of fun. That was dealing with marriage enrichments. And we would have maybe a half a dozen to a dozen couples that would come and we would be together from Friday night through Sunday. And one of the things I always used to tell the physicians, especially the men, is I said, gentlemen, remember, you can't outspend the lawyer. Think about it. And I would say, invest in your marriage. You know, there's a third principle, and it's the principle of increase. And that is you reap more than you sow. You always reap more than you sow. You know, that was brought home to me 41 years ago when I was in North Dakota. I'll never forget, Connie and I arrived there on a Wednesday night. And I remember they took us through the parsonage. They had cleaned it all up and they had painted and they had done some improvements in it. And as we were leaving the parsonage, they pointed out that right near the church, right, the church, was pars church and the parsonage were pretty much on the same piece of property. And they pointed out right over there was where the pastor planted his garden. And I thought, well, that's interesting. They must be expecting me to plant a garden. And indeed they were. You know, Connie and I had never planted a garden before. Never. I mean, think about it. I was 26 years old and I had no idea what I was getting into. You know, I came to realize that gardens require a lot of work and attention. Because you know what grows right up alongside Vegetables, weeds. And because my garden was right next to the church, people could look out and see whether I had a weed-filled garden or whether I had weeded the garden. 
And honestly, this happened on more than one occasion. When I didn't weed my garden, people came over the following day on Monday, and they would weed my garden for me. I almost felt guilty having, in some cases, 80, 90-year-old women out there weeding my garden. I got over that guilt quickly. But you know, one of the things that Connie and I wanted in our garden was tomatoes. I love tomatoes. I love the song of the late John Denver who sang, Ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes, what'd life be without homegrown tomatoes? Only two things money can't buy, that's true love and homegrown tomatoes. It's a great song by John Denver. I have all of his CDs. Well, because I love tomatoes, and remember, this is my first garden. I went to the hardware store, and I bought 34 tomato plants. 34. Did you know that a single tomato plant can produce 200 tomatoes in a season? I couldn't believe that. I checked it out last night. You know what? The return of tomatoes was much greater than the investment. And what's true agriculturally is also true spiritually and morally. Our harvest multiplies. You always reap more than you sow. And by the way, and I just just for the sake of completeness this morning. Remember I said this doesn't just apply to moral behavior and choices in life. It also applies to the issue of serving and giving. Friend, the universal experience of Christians who have practiced generous biblical giving is that the spiritual rewards far outweigh the financial sacrifice. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And he says that in the context of giving. And in the context of behavior, he's saying if you you sow to the flesh... (laughs) Friend, as it says in Hosea, you're going to reap the whirlwind. And God is trying to warn us here of the fact that the harvest is always greater than the planting. 35 years ago, Randy Alcorn, along with another pastor, wrote an article that appeared in the journal called Leadership. It was a journal for pastors and church leaders And Randy Alcorn listed all of the personalized consequences that would be his if he committed immorality. I kept that list in the forefront of my mind. He writes, grieving my Lord, displeasing the one whose opinion most matters. The suffering of innocent people around me who would get hit by my shrapnel. He writes the untold hurt to Nancy, my best friend and loyal wife. I always would read that. The untold hurt to Connie, 
my best friend and loyal wife. The loss of Connie's respect and trust. The hurt to and loss of credibility with my beloved children, Douglas, David, Dustin, and Darcy. And now we can add to it their spouses and my grandchildren. His list goes on and on and on, and it's just so incredible. And I'm convinced that if we would just stop and rehearse in advance the ugly and overwhelming consequences of our choices sometimes, we would be far more prone to avoid it. Now there's one more lesson, and it's this. And that is the principle of interval. And that is you reap after you sow. Verse 9 reads, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. And I love how it ends, if we do not give up. Friend, this principle of sowing and reaping not only applies to poor choices, it also applies to good choices. And sometimes in, in the midst of, of us Plowing away, it, it can easy, we can easily become discouraged and we want to give up. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 says, Cast your bread on the surface of the water, for you will find it after many days. And admittedly, waiting is not one of the strong suits for many of us. One man wrote, Christians frequently act like children in reference to this harvest. They would like to sow and reap in the same day. But you know what? It's not going to happen. It takes time. It takes time for a troubled marriage to be turned around. It takes time for a sexual addiction to be cured. It takes time for a lifetime of bad habits to be reversed. But if we will not give up, we can reap a harvest of eternal life. And the point is, is if you don't start now, it will be that much harder before the harvest will be realized. When you sow to the flesh, sometimes those consequences come back far later and, and they bite you. But don't give up. Don't quit. It's true that God can and does forgive men of their sins. But sometimes those consequences of sin continue. Now he can admittedly and blessedly does sometimes lessen them. But the scars of sin remain. Friend, here's what I'm saying. And I put it in your outline so you can take it home and remember. We are all farmers. Sowing in one field or another. And you have the field of the flesh and the field of the spirit. And you can sow toward the fruit of joy in this life. By sowing love and peace and Bible reading and prayer and faith and godliness. Or you can sow to the flesh. And the choice is yours. Now there's one final point and it's this. You can't do anything about last year's harvest. But you can do something about this year's.
What's past is past, and you need to get over it, but you need to learn from it. Don't ever say it's too late, because we can accept God's forgiveness that he extends to us. And that's what we need to do. Let's pray. Father, we know that sowing to the Spirit brings life everlasting, and sowing to the flesh brings corruption and death. And so we pray this morning that we might sow to the Spirit and reap the blessing of everlasting life. And Lord, if there are any here tonight, or this morning rather, who have never trusted Jesus Christ, we pray that they would do so. We pray for those who have been sowing to the flesh and reaping a corrupted, degenerated life. May this morning be the time when they get things right with you. We pray that for every seed that they've sown, there would be confession, there would be a turning away from that sin, and there would be that restoration to fellowship. And I pray, Lord, that as we continue to sow the good seed, that we would never grow weary, but rather that we would constantly and faithfully sow to the Spirit, knowing that the harvest will come in your good time. Help us to do that. And we pray towards that end, in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, Amen.